You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Before I jump into talking about that text and actually more of Proverbs, I wanna say happy 4th of July. Uh, What a unique thing to have a Sunday morning on the 4th of July. I don't know if any of you have been keeping tabs on Sunday mornings that happen on the 4th of July, but the last one was in 2010, you know, because leap years, you know, it affects things. So it's been 11 years, and and honestly, I I think it's a really fitting thing for Sunday morning to take place on the 4th of July, and I'll explain why I say that, uh, because I, I approach history from a God-focused point of view, you know, that ultimately all of history is in the hands of God. And when you look at the founding of this country, you can see God's handiwork all over the founding of this country. You may or may not have received an email from Rockland this week. I, I sent out an email actually talking a lot about the founding fathers and how they had God in view as the ultimate example of government, of good government. And that's why King George didn't measure up in the least. They had God in view for that, and so our country was founded with God as the example, and here we are 245 years later, and I would argue that this is one of, if not the greatest of nations that has existed in history purely because God was the model example for this nation. So today for us as Christians, it's not just a day where we get to celebrate America, but even more than that, we get to celebrate and thank God that his handiwork was all over the founding of this nation. All right, that's, that's all I'm gonna say about that. That's not actually the focus of today's message. Today, we're gonna be jumping into the book of Proverbs. And we were in the Gospel of Luke, but today and actually the month of July, we're gonna take a break because we're gonna be covering a decent amount of Proverbs today. Um, as we go through this book, we're, we're going to be learning a lot. Obviously, we can't cover all of Proverbs in, in just four weeks, but we're, we're going to do as much justice as we can this month. And today, we're going to look at the entire introduction of Proverbs. And the reason I say entire is because it's actually the first nine chapters of this book. Uh, Some people might disagree with me about whether or not that's the introduction, but what we see in the first nine chapters of this book is really a complete narrative focusing on two characters. The characters are actually the personifications of wisdom and of foolishness. And what we see is uh, in wisdom, she will often be referred to as just that, wisdom or instruction or prudence or knowledge. Those are, those are the terms used to describe wisdom, the character wisdom. Foolishness will typically be referred to as something along the lines of the forbidden woman or the wicked woman or the woman folly, those sort of terms. And so I'm gonna actually go ahead and on the front end here assign two terms to describe these two archetypes. I'm gonna use lady wisdom is is who we're talking about when we're talking about wisdom and lady folly. 
What the first nine chapters of this book will do is it'll present Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly to us, and it will make a case that you want to choose wisdom. You want to go down the path of wisdom. You want to be close to Lady Wisdom, and you don't want to choose Lady Folly. It makes that case so that then the rest of the book of Proverbs is very compelling. We want to read the rest of the book of Proverbs after we get into this introduction. So let's go ahead and start with Proverbs chapter one. We'll look at the the text that you've already heard this morning, starting in verse one. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon is the author of these uh, Proverbs. He actually wrote 29 out of 31 of the chapters of Proverbs. The last two are written by two other guys. And then it says the purpose. Why is he writing this in, chapter, in verse two? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The purpose of this book is to learn wisdom, to grow in wisdom, both for the the simple one as well as the wise one. It's for everyone. Everyone should have the opportunity to gain wisdom and understanding through instruction. And that's the purpose of this book. And then we get verse 7, which serves as an umbrella statement for all of the rest of Proverbs, or you could also understand it as a foundational statement for all of the rest of Proverbs where it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What it's saying there is if you have right understanding of God, right relationship with God, you can actually have real wisdom. It takes a knowledge of God to have a genuine understanding of wisdom, a right understanding of things. And it's very easy to see this if if you are someone who studies any subject Uh, As a Christian, you understand how important it is to have God in view, whatever the subject may be. We could be talking about art. We could be talking about economics. We could be talking about politics, science, math. It doesn't matter. If you take God out of the equation, you're going to have an incomplete understanding of that subject. The founding fathers are an example of this. You take God out of the equation of government, and you get a messed up government. The founding fathers understood that, and that's why they wanted God to be the center point for understanding how to create government, how to create a constitution. We could talk about all the other subjects and one at a time I would show you, you know, how what happens when you take God out of art, what happens when you take God out of economics. We could spend all day doing that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna move forward because I really want to introduce you to Lady Wisdom. If you jump down to verse 20, <clears throat> Lady Wisdom comes on the scene. It says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? And Lady Wisdom will continue to speak in this way, appealing to the simple, appealing to the foolish, to to not choose foolishness, 
but to desire wisdom. We're going to skip down to verse 32 where she uh, finishes up what she's saying in these words. She says, for the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And so as Lady Wisdom presents her case, it's on this foundation. Uh, I am security, I am safety, choose me, this is the good life. If you choose the opposite, the foolish path, you will find destruction and even death for the simple are killed by their turning away. We're gonna see this reiterated over and over again, but I wanna go ahead and turn you to chapter two, where we are gonna see Lady Folly. In chapter two, in verse 16, it says this. So, you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, talking about if you hold to wisdom, this will be true for you. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back nor do they regain the paths of life. And so what Lady Folly presents, the path of foolishness, is one of destruction. It's one of bad life. It's one that even leads to, ultimately, death. So, so far, we are, we are shown Lady Wisdom. It's the good life, Lady Folly. It's the bad life. Let's continue on and, and see if that continues to hold true in chapter 3. We're going to be introduced once again to Lady Wisdom, and it says this in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Notice everything about choosing wisdom sounds great. It's peaceful, it's pleasant, it's long life. Now, obviously, when you read Proverbs, you have to understand everything that's said in Proverbs is not a guarantee. If you choose wisdom, that doesn't mean you can't still be killed by something foolish entering into life. We can look at the martyrs as an example for this. If we understand that wisdom is a right understanding of God, of following God, then, then all Christians should live very long lives, right? But what we look at in the history of the church is Christians have been killed for choosing to be Christians. So where's... Where's the foolishness in that? Well, the foolishness is not in choosing God. The foolishness is in the world rejecting God and then in doing so, killing the Christians. So this is not necessarily a guarantee for long life that if you choose wisdom, it's not a guarantee that everything in life will be hunky-dory and perfect, but a wise life is the better life. It is the best option. Whereas a foolish life does lead down the path of destruction. We're gonna go ahead and turn to chapter four. 
where we will see again Lady Wisdom in verse six. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And skipping down to verse 13, keep hold of instruction, another name for wisdom. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Right, the point here is when it comes to wisdom, if you've, if you've gained wisdom, guard it, protect it. Don't let foolishness creep in and cause you to want to go down a different path. Let's just dabble in a little bit of foolishness and then I'll go back to being wise. That's not protecting the wisdom that you have been given. If you have obtained it, guard it, keep it close. She is your life. We've got a couple more uh, passages I want to show you about Lady Folly before this gets really interesting. Go ahead and turn to chapter 5, verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. There's a couple of images being used here to help us understand this path of foolishness. Uh, one, intoxication. And this is not a passage about don't get intoxicated, although scripture does make that clear throughout scripture. This is a passage about don't be foolish, but it's using the image of intoxication. If you are doing something foolish, it's like being intoxicated. When you're intoxicated, you make bad decisions. When you're foolish, you make bad decisions. And, and the badness of those decisions is comparable to engaging in adultery. It's that kind of, of, of badness that you don't want this in your life. This is the foolish path. It is destructive. It's not a passage about don't get intoxicated and don't engage in adultery. Well, we do know those things are wrong. It's using these images to help us understand the, the, the depth and the magnitude of how awful the foolish path is. Let's turn to chapter six. We've got another passage about the lady folly in verse 24. Again, talking about how um, we should choose wisdom and these are the things that wisdom will protect us from and then we come to verse 24 and it says, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes and on it will continue to go and we're gonna skip down to verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does, it, it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. And so here we see going down the path of Lady Folly 
It's comparable to engaging in adultery and then when the husband finds out and he comes to seek vengeance, there's nothing you can do. In other words, you will reap the consequences for foolish decisions. In one way or another, those consequences will be seen in your life. There's no getting out of it. There's no, oh, how can, I, how can I make this go away? How can I just pay these consequences away? Foolishness is not worth it, is the point that is being made over and over again. In chapter seven, we see foolishness and wisdom, these two archetypes, standing side by side. In verse four, it says, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. In verse five, it then says, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. In other words, hold fast to wisdom, your intimate friend, your sister, so that she can keep you from foolishness. In other words, if you have wisdom, you should be able to understand the right decisions that lead you down the path of foolishness or wisdom. It is wisdom that keeps us safe from foolishness. And then we get this very compelling story. These last three chapters of the introduction, chapters seven, eight, and nine, this is where it gets really, really good. Uh, It's been good so far, I think, but it's gonna get really good. The the story of scripture here is amazing. And what, what Solomon is going to do is he's gonna tell a story to illustrate just how much we don't want to go down the path of foolishness. In verse six, he says this, for at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, her being the forbidden woman mentioned in verse five taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Well, we can already see what's unfolding here. Has he done anything wrong yet? No, he's just walking at night. But where is he walking? Where is he putting himself? He's putting himself in the position where the foolish decision that will be presented to him is a foolish decision that he could make. He's putting himself, he's starting down the path of foolishness. Let's see if that decision does arise. In verse 10, it says, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait, meaning foolishness is everywhere, waiting to grab a hold of anyone who will buy into it. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. In other words, everything's ready. Everything's fine. There will be no consequences from this. You won't get caught. My husband's gone. 
And that's what foolishness does. It presents itself as a good idea. You should choose this. You'll like this decision and you won't have to pay for it. That's what it presents itself as, but what's the reality? In verse 21, it goes on, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. She chips away at his defenses until finally, verse 22, all at once he follows her, and pay real close attention to the language here, the imagery. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. When we go down the foolish path, the point here is that when we are choosing foolish things, we are completely oblivious to the disaster that we are walking into, much like an ox or a stag or a bird in these illustrations who have no idea what is before them. Proverbs is here to tell us there's a better way. In 24 it says, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, which means deep in the ground, going down to the chambers of death. So where's wisdom? This foolish young man, where was wisdom? Why why wasn't he able to do the wise thing? Was wisdom not around, and that is where we go to chapter eight, and this might be my favorite chapter in all of Proverbs. If, if you don't get a chance to go back and read all the stuff we're skipping today, at least go back and read chapter eight. We're not gonna have a time to go through all of chapter eight. Where is wisdom? It says in chapter eight, verse one, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights Beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. And I, in my mind, I picture uh, the Statue of Liberty, something like that, just standing there, taking her stand, crying out beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and write to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I 
hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. So it's not for lack of wisdom taking her stand that foolish decisions are made. One of the things I love about this passage is I think it should be very convicting for the Christian. Uh, We are called to take a stand because we are the people who have the fear of the Lord. We should have wisdom. No matter what in our society tells us you're wrong for presenting your worldview, the reality is we're not presenting just our worldview. We should be presenting wisdom. Why would we do that? I want to take you to the end of this chapter. Again, I, I would encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter, if not the whole book. But in verse 32, it says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Remember the places that wisdom stands and cries out? She cries out at the gates. She cries out at the doors. Blessed are the ones who stand at the gates and at the doors. We are to be participating in this crying out on behalf of wisdom. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Now before we go to chapter nine, the obvious question we should be asking ourselves is, well, how how can we tell what is wise and what is foolish in, in our world? Well, what, what are the clear indicators? Well, the clearest one goes all the way back to Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If it, if it goes alongside God, if it, if it is in agreement with what God says, we can probably assume that it is wisdom. If it goes against God, if it rejects God, if it says God's not a part of the equation here, we can assume that it's foolish. But what's another way that we can discern whether or not something is foolish or wise? Well, we can look at the result So let's say, hypothetically, um, there is a a particular advice that is given in our culture, and it's given to a lot of people, and a lot of people buy into that advice, that counsel, and it's a particular way of life. You choose this, and and you will be happy, you will have fun, you will have friends, you'll you'll really enjoy life a whole lot more. Let's say that's the counsel that's given uh, about whatever this, this particular choice may be. But let's say the result is that everyone who chooses that, 99% of people who choose that path, end up going down a very destructive path. It ruins their relationships with their families. It ruins their relationships with their friends. It ruins their personal health. It ultimately will cause many of them to desire their own death and even commit suicide. Let's say that's the norm. Well, we could look at that and go, oh, well, that's, that's bad counsel. That's foolish. And I'm I'm sure many of you are thinking of many different things that I could be talking about. I kept it vague on purpose because we could spend all day talking about the foolish things in our culture. We could spend all day pointing them out and pointing to the death that they cause, the destruction that they bring about in the lives of people. I want to take you now to chapter 9. I love how, how this introduction is wrapped up we get two houses and an open invitation to both houses. In chapter nine and verse one, we see wisdom has built her house. 
She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She's ready to host. The food is ready. The wine is ready. The home is ready. So who is she hosting? She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. She's inviting the simple. She's inviting the foolish. She's inviting the ignorant, the ones who don't have wisdom. Now, this is interesting. I think this is also very instructive for us. Uh, If you are a Christian and you have obtained wisdom, it's not your job to look at the fool and say, you fool, stay down there. It's your job to say, hey, let me help you obtain wisdom. Come in here where you are welcome. I have wisdom, I have instruction, and it is for your benefit. I want you to live. I want you to have life. The problem is, while we might be making that invitation, Lady Folly is also hard at work. In verse 13, the woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. The places of power and authority is where Lady Folly stands to send out this invitation, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Notice what she says here. It's very similar to what we just read. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. You can look up to verse four. It's the exact same words. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant but he does not know that the dead are there, that he, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Wisdom and folly both are offering the same thing. Come into my house. You can eat my bread and drink my water from folly or wine from wisdom. But we see the story has unfolded so clearly. Wisdom is the right choice here. Folly is the one that leads to death. So why do we need to be told this? Why, why does Proverbs need to even be written? Wouldn't it be common sense that we would choose wisdom? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that just make sense that everyone would choose the things that lead to, to good life, pleasant life, that no one would want to desire this destructive path of death and foolishness? Well, the reason is this thing we call depravity. Depravity is the condition that we all exist in. And ever since sin entered into the world, we are depraved by sin. Until Christ one day returns, until Jesus one day returns and ultimately defeats the enemy and does away with sin and it is thrown into the lake of fire, we will always have this problem of sin. And remember, wisdom goes hand in hand with our faith in God. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness, which is also wickedness, which is also sin. We desire sin. Our flesh pulls us towards this sin. And that is why we so desperately need our Savior. 
That is why we so desperately need to look to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of wisdom. He came on this earth as a man, fully God, but still a man. And he set the most clear, wise example for how we should live, completely focused on the Lord God. Here we are about 2,000 years later, and we still remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that he would teach us and continue to renew us so that we would choose the wise path. It should be a choice for each of us that we want wisdom, that we desire wisdom. And we do so first and foremost in honor of our Lord and Savior in remembrance of him. And he took bread on the night that he was to be betrayed and taking it with his disciples, he said, this is my body given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take this in remembrance of me. As we take the Lord's Supper today as the people of God, let's do so as people who desire to show that the fear of the Lord has really made a a change in our lives. And we desire the wisdom of God.